tips. And so we want to, to bring to you tonight our lesson that we're, um, we'll talk about uh, right relationships. I'm sorry. Amen. Lesson 2.3, I believe. 2.3. Right relationships. A scripture text will be taken from Nehemiah 4. Verse 1 through 9, verse 1 through 9, Nehemiah 4, verse 1 through 9. And the, the text here is going to cover this question. Who are you following? Who are you following? Now, we know that God is our shepherd and we know he is who we ultimately follow. But... God will put people in our life, thank you, sir, that maybe we should follow. And there will be people in our life that maybe we shouldn't follow. And so the question is going to be, who are you following? Now, I like that question because always remember this. A lot of us feel like we're leaders. I know if I told you it was to raise your hand, go around the room, I think we will have majority in this house that says, yeah, I think I'm a leader in some way, in some form, I'm a leader. So I believe that we will probably agree to that. But I will tell you this, you will never be able to lead if you don't follow. Following teaches you how to lead. So if we can't follow, we will never lead. And if we're not following, then we're not going anywhere. <laughs> so we'll talk about tonight, who are you following? To mature as a Christian, we must have someone in our life who leads us. That is so important. If we're going to mature as a Christian, now remember what I said that if you just want to stay in the position that you're in right now, then yeah, okay. Then you don't need to follow anybody. Just follow yourself, do what you feel, and you won't go anywhere. But if you're going to get somewhere and you're going to grow, you're going to mature, you have to be following someone. Following that person don't mean that you're going to follow them for the rest of your life. And follow them that don't mean, following that person don't mean you have complete, complete, uh, trust in that person. It just means you have complete trust in God. I said this a long time ago that I'm submitted and I follow not because of the human that I'm submitted to or the human that I'm following because humans have flaws just like me. But I do it because it's what God's word said we need to do. And I trust God's word. And I, I want to make sure I don't tie God's hand from doing what he needs to do in my life. Because if I don't obey his word, I tie his hands. And so whatever you're looking from, looking for from God, if you're not doing it like God says, then you're not going to get God results. Amen. Hallelujah. So Nehemiah chapter four, starting in verse one says, but it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we build the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heap? Of the rubbish which are burned. Now Tobiah the Amorite, Ammonite, by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone walls. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey. In the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity. Huh. This is some good prayer right here. You, you, you listen to this prayer. Cover not their iniquity. What does it mean? It means that 
if if he's praying, don't cover their wrong and their sin. It means your sin can be covered. You're quiet. The Bible says that love covers a multitude. Uh And so, and cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before them. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So build we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. And conspired all of them together to come to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Last verse. Nevertheless, we made our prayers unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. We need to be able to testify to say that. Nevertheless. I made my prayer unto my God. Taking initiative. That's what I'll talk about for just a moment here. Taking initiative, because that's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah took initiative and rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. And we'll talk about that a little bit. The epic story of Nehemiah began when Nehemiah took the initiative to discover a need. Somebody say need. We need to discover needs. We need to take initiative when we discover needs. When one of his kingsmen, this is Nehemiah Kingsman, Hananiah, visited from Jerusalem, Nehemiah asked him specifically the welfare of his fellow man, the Jews. How's everybody doing? Is everybody okay? And Nehemiah asked him about the welfare. He said, listen, I know everybody had escaped. You know, a lot of people have escaped the captivity and the conditions of Jerusalem. But how are they doing? No doubt when Hananiah and the others arrived, they came with well wishes and typical formal greetings. So Hananiah had come to Nehemiah just to say, hey, bro, how you doing? How's everything going? Good to see you. How they treating you in the king's palace? Because Nehemiah worked in the king's palace. And he just wanted to say hello to him. He didn't expect for Nehemiah to say, what's the status? What's the welfare of my brethren? How are they really doing? With all the stuff that went on, with the temple being destroyed and the walls being destroyed, what's going on? I know they had built back up the temple, but the walls, you know, what's going on? So Nehemiah delved into it a little deeper than just the casual, I don't. How you doing? Tony stopped by the house last night, him and Sister Mary. Tony always give him the Italian um, greeting. I don't. I said, Tony, you're not the only Italian around here. I don't. But uh, they stopped by to see Nehemiah to give him the how you doing. And Nehemiah just wasn't dealing with the surface stuff. We deal with the surface stuff a lot, and it gets us nowhere. We got to go a little bit beneath the surface if we're going to be children of God. We're here to help people and to, and to, and to, and to get the plan of God moving. And in order to do that, we have to know what the problem is. And so if you truly know that you're a child of God and confident in God, when God prompts you to say, really? How you doing? Go ahead and ask. Just don't leave it right there. Say, how you doing, really? Yes, they was expecting the normal pleasantries, but Nehemiah was brave and says, how you doing? Now, don't go ahead and say, how you doing, if you're not ready 
to get yourself involved to help. Don't say how you doing just to be saying how you doing. Because you know what could be, you, you know, we will do stuff like, how you doing? I'm good, I'm good. No, 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 I'm serious. How you, how you really doing? Talk to me. And he starts talking. And now you want to scoot away a little bit. Man, I didn't know all of that. But when you got Jesus on your side and you got Jesus working in your life and you care and you love people, you can say it and know assuredly that with the help of God, we're going to help this brother. We're going to help this sister. So many times we ask someone how they're doing and we barely wait for them to answer. And if we ever got a different answer than what we expected, we would be shocked. But if we will take the time to show genuine interest in people, to be willing to ask slightly uncomfortable questions, we may be surprised to find that they are desperate to pour out their hearts to someone who will listen. Can we just say this? A lot of people are going through, a lot of people have things that they want to discuss. It's things that's in their life. Listen, counselor's going to tell you it's unhealthy to hold on to things. Sometimes people are not looking for uh, a resolution or a solution. They just need to talk about stuff. Because if they don't let it loose, if they don't unload, it's going to drive them mad. And so they just need to release. It's not always that there's an answer, but give them an opportunity to release. Being willing to ask if there's a need opens the door for them to share their need. And that in turn opens an opportunity for you to respond to that need. Hananiah and the others poured out the problem to Nehemiah. Although the Jews had returned and even though they had rebuilt the temple, still they were held in reproach by the Samaritans and others around them because they had no city walls around Jerusalem. So even though the temple was rebuilt, there was still an issue because there was no walls around the city. In those days, if you, if your capital city did not have walls around it, you were a laughing stock. In those days, if your capital city didn't have walls around it, you were uh, open to attacks, regular attacks. This is why they had walls back in those days, because the walls will help you, help protect you, help protect your people. And if there were real wars, people that lived outside the walls would run into the capital city, they would close the gate, and at least they will have their people inside the walls and the gates ready for battle so they can be protected. Now, as people of God, we need to build some walls in our lives. When walls are not in your life, you will be easily assaulted. You will, people will roll upon you easy and get the best of you. Your enemies will conquer you easy. What would be considered walls, Brother D? In our lives as Christian. A lot of. In this day and age. People want to live for God. As easy as they can. I don't even understand that. How we can tell God. He's the shot caller. But I'm going to do it this way. That don't even make sense. How we try to live for God. In our best way we can. That's not possible. But here is what I want to mention to you. If we don't put walls in our lives, we will be overtaken by our adversary very easily. What are walls that we can put in our lives? Standards and values. <laughs> Churches get a little, ooh, they don't like when you talk about standards. They don't like when you said, oh, you need to get some values in your life. They're afraid that's going to, make their life a little too stringent. They're afraid that their life is not going to be as flexible as they would like it to be. You can have a flexible life and be attacked easy by Satan and overtaken by him, or you can get some standards, some values. That way when he attacks, there's some buffers. 
Mm-hmm. There's some things that we can do in our lives, standards and values that we can put in our life that will keep us protected. They tell alcoholics, don't go into the bars. That's a standard. That's a value that they will put into their life because why? They don't want to find themselves drinking again. All of us that's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we need to treat ourselves like alcoholics. I need to stay as far away from sin as I can. I need to build values and standards in my life that will keep me buffered from sin. But if I just want to be flexible... And, and feel like, you know what? I don't need my life to be so stringent. I just need to be comfortable. You remove the value. You remove the buffer. And when attacks come, you will be attacked very quickly and overtaken very quickly because there were no buffers. There were no walls. God always show us this natural, but there's a spiritual that represents that natural. And the walls are considered protection. The walls was built around the city to protect that city. And if we want to be protect, protected in our life, we have to build walls, standards, values. That when the attacks come, guess what? Those standards, those values will buffer it. Standards and values can be considered walls in our lives. People in the world today have a number of problems and often no one can help them. This is why we don't talk sometimes because sometimes you feel like the problem I have, nobody can help me with it. But me and you as Christians should know Jesus can fix any problem. So that means every problem Everyone may have, I have the Mr. Fix-It in my life. So I'm okay and comfortable in saying, hey, how you doing? No, 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 really, how you doing? And I'm waiting for you to, there is nothing you're going to tell me that just get me saying, oh, why? Because Jesus is Mr. Fix-It. And so I don't have to be intimidated with anyone responding with the, Issues and problems they may have. But a lot of times people don't talk about it because they think there's no need because there's no help. But you got to be able to say, listen, you can go ahead and talk about it. Whatever you you have on your mind and you may think that there's not a, a solution to it. I beg to differ. There's a solution. You just never met the one or the person that can provide you the solution. But today I can provide you with the solution. And they're going to be taken aback. Whoa, what do you mean? Just go ahead and tell me what's going on, baby. He that had no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. A lot of people today cannot control themselves, so they end up in all kinds of problems. That's where the problems start, because lack of control. They cannot control their hormones. They cannot control their appetites. They cannot control their spending. They cannot control their vices. And they cannot control their anger. Those things get you in trouble. But Jesus can help you with every single one of those things if that's one of your problems. In short, there are some people who cannot control their spirit because they are, your nature within you is a sinful nature. And because the nature in you is a sinful nature, if you don't have what it takes to to, to control that nature, then that nature is going to control you. And so we have to start looking at ourselves and see, 
do we have control of our lives? And I'm not talking about, you know, because I, I would think most of us in here, almost every one of us in here, we have pretty good control over our lives. But 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 is that the control God is talking about? I, I'm not sure if that's what God is talking about what he's, more than he's talking about uh, practicing godliness and, and, and living holy and living righteous and, and, and loving people. I, I think that's more what we have to look at to say I have control when those things are being practiced in our life. Above all, what people need is Jesus. As the Bible says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they're saved. Most of people's problems can be handled or be pointed out from a spiritual position. Most of our problems will lead us back to where we are spiritually. How do we handle the needs? How do we handle the needs? How do we handle needs? After becoming aware of the need, Nehemiah decided to act on it. So Nehemiah realized the walls in Jerusalem need to be rebuilt. That was a need. If not, Jerusalem was still going to be open to its enemies, adversaries, and, and could be attacked and destroyed again. So he realized there was a need. We need to build, rebuild these walls. But rather than plunging ahead in pursuit, a natural solution to the problem, the first thing he did was pray and fast. So the first thing you have to do to handle problem is pray and fast. A lot of times we want to handle a problem and we always feel like we just have that intellect, that knowledge, that know-how just to get on it and start handling it. But I'm here to beg the difference. Even if you know the answer, pray and fast. Make sure the Lord is directing you in how to handle that situation. And so that's what Nehemiah put first. He prayed and fast. People's needs are far more spiritual than it is physical. Most of what we need in our life to resolve our situations is a spiritual need that we have. It's, a, it's spiritual. It's not Physical as we a lot of times would want to think. It's not physical, but it's spiritual. If you dig deep, you will find that almost every problem people are facing will come back to a spiritual issue. The underlying spiritual problem will manifest itself in outward problems. And by helping with those outward problems, we may get the opportunity to bring Jesus into the picture. How many times I got to tell you? The Bible says quick to hear, slow to speak. Because what we don't realize, our actions and our speech tells everything about us. I, I don't know, you know, if we don't think about that often, that how I act, the things that I say, I can approach you and say, just no, 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 really tell me. You can say, no, no, I'm good. I don't know. Sometimes I'd rather say, all right, you know you just lied to me, right? <laughs> I do that to people all the time. <laughs> I say, you know you just lied to me, right? But it's okay. Go ahead and repent. Uh, just tell me you don't want to talk to me about the problem. But your actions and your words already said that there's a problem. Our actions and our words tell on us all the time. Our actions and our words will tell on us every time. All right. Here's one. If you are struggling with gambling, got to play the numbers, got to gamble, eh, just got to gamble. You just got to always try to do something. The lottery, got to always do something. Yeah, you can say it's an addiction. But the spiritual connotation for that would be the word covetousness. The Bible says, it's one of the commandments, thou shall not covet. Desiring other people's stuff. Desiring stuff that ain't intended for you. Thou shall not 
covet. So if you're a gambler, it means that you're always coveting something. And the best way to get it is, I need to gamble. That just told something on you. And, 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 you, and you say, eh. you, can, you can fix it any way you want. I'm just telling you, this is what it is. And you, you can argue against it, but the facts are the facts. If you always get mad and you're never satisfied, the facts are you're not satisfied in your position with God. Because when you are in a good place with God, nothing don't really bother you. When you're in a good place with God, you have hope. God will work it out. When you're in a good place with God, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. When you're in a good place with God, the Lord is my provider. He will... So you don't get worked up and you don't start to get antsy and uncomfortable and jittery and always mad at people. That don't work. So when you're jittery, angry, snapping, go back to where are you with your relationship with God? Spiritual. I know we put physical explanation explanation on things, but eh, spiritual. Spiritual. Nehemiah claimed the word of God. Not only did he realize that he needed help from God, the spiritual aspect of it, but he also claimed the word of God. He prayed, remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses. This is Nehemiah praying to God, saying, if you transgress, I will scatter you abroad the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, thou there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven. Yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them to the place that I have chosen to set my name there. When Nehemiah began to pray, he began to pray saying, God, these people are coming against me. But you said, if we will follow you and obey you, you will see to it that you will bring us in a place where your name is being praised and glorified. So it means no matter what or who attacks us, if we just follow you, Lord, we know we're going to be good. Nehemiah quoted that to God. Yep. What do you think God's going to do? If God is righteous and holy like he say he is, which I know he is, and you quote his word, what do you think he's going to do? Oh, I didn't mean that. Now, that's what we would say. (laughs) But if you put God's word right before him, God, in your word, you said you will never leave me nor forsake me. I don't feel your presence right now, but I know you said you will never leave me nor forsake me. And right now I feel an enemy has been kept round about me. So, God, will you show yourself great around me and protect me because I know you're here. I don't have to feel you. I don't have to sense no spiritual thing. You said you will never leave me nor forsake me. Now God manifests that you are here. That's his word. What are you going to tell me? Oh, I didn't mean that. No, he's going to say, son, you're right. Here I am. That's what he's going to say. Son, you're right. Here I am. So we got to use the word like Nehemiah used the word in handling problems and handling situations and 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 when someone needs help we we need to be vigilant and we need to be able to help our brothers or help a stranger but we need to make sure when we're helping them we're praying for spiritual direction we're praying for answers and we're using the word of god to help them who are you following Mm -hmm. can anybody think of one of god's promises that you can claim for what you're going through. These are things you got to think about when you're going through. Can I just jump off to the side a little bit? I was, I've been doing this, um, going over this, um, I don't know what you would call it, but study material, videos. Um, Part of the requirement for us to get the Christmas Christ money is you got to go through this, watching these videos. And so I'm watching these videos. And um, Cindy Miller, who is, um, she is licensed professional and apostolic 
um, in counseling. And she talked about the cycles of life. And I don't have time to get into the cycles. But what I loved about it was everyone has to take responsibility for themselves. And she was talking about marriage. But at the end of the day, what she said is, you can't make anybody do anything, but you can make yourself do something. And so at the end of the day, whatever you're going through, are you obeying God? Are you being the best Christian that God called you to be? Are you loving? Are you repenting of the things that you did wrong? Are you doing right? Are you being encouraging? Are you building up and lifting up? And I just smile. Because before God had me started pastoring, Lord knows he gave me this. And what he gave me, Brother D, is anytime I'm going to counsel any marriages, y'all get it ahead of time. The first two questions, the first two things I'm going to deal with is this. Do you want to be married? Because if two people are married and they're struggling, but one or both said we don't want to be married, then there's nothing nobody can do to help you. A house divided itself will not stand. A, a friendship divided will not stand. A marriage divided will not So if two people are married and one is saying, I don't know, no sense of sitting down with you. All I'm going to say is, when you decide you both want to be married to each other, I get back to you. And I'm done. The counseling session over. The second thing I go with was what Sidney Miller talked about and what was this. How was your relationship with God? I said, man, God, only you could help me with that. I'm not even that smart. So, so the next thing I'm asking, because, because what, I, what I know is if two people are married and both are doing their very best and living for God, marriage will be fine. Marriage will be fine. Because you're saying, I'm living for God, which means God says love, I got to love. God says, you know, the two become one. I got to make sure, you know, we, I make sure we, we good together. I mean, you know, we, we want in the decisions that we make, you know, we support one another, all of that stuff. And if I do what God said I need to do, then I should be fine. And if the other person do what God said they need to do, then we'll be fine. But whoever is deviating from God, then there's a problem. And the great thing about it is, God used the example of his relationship with the church as marriage. He does. And so, think about that. It's going to be difficult for us to be married to another individual and not be right in that, but be right with him. Because the same principles apply. <laughs> the same principles apply. So if I'm not doing right by him, yeah, I'm going to be messing up in my marriage. Yes, 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 yes. It's going to be, it, 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 you can't do it. But if I'm doing right by him, it means I've already understood the principles of marriage because him and I are doing well. I'm the bridegroom and he is the bride. So I understand the principles and that's why him and I are doing well. And so I should translate that in my marriage. And so we should be fine. All right. I need to leave that alone. That was just a little nugget throw out there. Just, you know, leading of the Holy Ghost. Let the Holy Ghost have his way. As the king cupbearer, Nehemiah was positioned to address the need that was in Jerusalem. Like Esther, God had placed him, Nehemiah, in a position for specific time and purpose. God will place all of us in position for specific times and purpose. But we got to realize that we're children of God. Don't you think little of yourself. You are a child of God and God will put you in position for specific time for you to do something. And God has positioned us, I know he has, he has positioned us to minister to people in a particular way. When Nehemiah came before the king, his countenance was down, he was sad, and the king noticed it. And the king was like, what's wrong, Nehemiah? What's the problem? Are you okay? And Nehemiah said no. 
the same thing that Nehemiah did to his fellow brethren, the king did to him. Again, when are we going to really be transparent and really share and really tell the truth? No, I'm not doing good. I'm not telling you go tell everybody your business. But you will know when this person is sincere and genuine and they want to help. And even if I just need to just get it out, let me get it out. And the king said, all right, Nehemiah, I got you. What do you want? And Nehemiah told him and he said, all right, um, I'm going to support you so you can go and do what you have to do. Like a true leader, Nehemiah knew it was not all about him, but with undue haste or lack of planning, Nehemiah could have messed everything up. When the king said, okay, go ahead, Nehemiah didn't haste. He had patience. And he said, all right, I'm going to handle this thing. He realized that God had given him favor to be in leadership. By the way, um, the book of Nehemiah, greatest book on leadership. There's no book written out there better than Nehemiah for leadership. You can buy any book you want. You can go to John Maxwell and get all of John Maxwell teaching on leadership. There will be no better leadership teaching in all the world than the book of Nehemiah in the Bible. Now, we appreciate John Maxwell and, you know, he's got a lot of good things that he has to say about leadership. And I, I wouldn't discourage you from buying stuff, buy stuff, but understand this book of Nehemiah here, my goodness, you want to know about leadership, just go dig into it and dig into it, and you will learn a lot about leadership. After surveying the project, Nehemiah stepped forward and spoke to the people. First, he confronted them with the reality of the problem. You see the distress? He argued that they could not simply sit still and maintain the status quo. They could not simply ignore the problem of the shattered walls forever. They had to face the problem head on. So, real talk. We got to have real talk if we're going to get anywhere. Cindy Miller mentioned in, in her um, lesson that she taught. She said she remember when her and her husband started the church. And husband was trying to get stuff together to buy um, land and to build a building. And um, he was just day in, day out at the site trying to get everything done. And one day he came home early. Let me back it up. While he was doing all of that, she said she started feeling lonely and she started getting angry and upset like he's putting all his effort in this church and no more is he spending time in our marriage and all this stuff. And so she started getting angry, I mean, to the point where she's just like, ugh. And then one day he came home early. She thought he was coming home to be with her. And he was coming home saying, honey, fax these paperwork over to the township. I got to change out of this clothes and put a suit on and go down the township and talk to them about this building. Now she was really steaming. But she said she... Ended up approaching him that day, and here's how she approached him. When you're genuine and you're real, you will always get somewhere. She said she could have approached him with anger and fussing and fighting and everything, but all she said was, Honey, I know you've been busy, and I know you got to do what you got to do for God, but I just feel lonely. I feel like I don't have no husband. All the stuff that we were you know, I thought we were going to be doing and together and all this stuff. It's not happening. And I'm just discouraged. Husband said, you know what? After, after t tonight, when I come back from the township in the evening, we're going out to dinner. We're going to hang out. Because she was real and transparent. She didn't get, I'm sick of this. Every time I turn around, you with the church stuff. Every time I turn around, I go to township. Every time I turn you're always doing something. She could have went that way. But here's the truth of the matter, and she knows it because she's a counselor. The truth of the matter is, whatever you're expressing, there's something behind it. So if she did that, she would have still not communicated what's really wrong. She would have never communicated what's really wrong. She would have said a whole bunch of stuff in anger, and he probably would have been angry back at her, and he would have never thought about that there's something really wrong because now he got offended if she would have did that way. But what she did was tell the truth, how she felt, what was going on. And that stopped him in his tracks. Got it together. The preacher man got it together. 
Next, Nehemiah came alongside them saying, we are in this together. So the distress that you all are going through, I feel the distress. Nehemiah did not have to even be there. He could have stayed in the comfort of the king's palace, unmoved by the need of the people. But instead he went and he was under the distress right along with his people. Because when you love people and they're distressed, you distress. Oh, yeah. Next, Nehemiah laid out a specific goal. Let us build. So he's given instructions. We need to follow the instructions that comes from the pulpit. As a church body, you always hear me say, we go to Burger King because we want a Whopper. We go to Mickey D's, we want some fries. We go to Wendy's, we want a Frosty. You know, we can go on, 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 on. We go to places for specific things. We need to be sharper about church. If I'm coming to church, why am I coming? Why am I coming? Why am I coming to church? So we got to be sharp about that. Because we're sharp about everything else. I do this because of that. I do this because of that. Why are we coming to church? Don't make sense to come to church and don't just get involved and just say, let me get involved and do my thing. It don't make sense. You remember I told you when I, when I messed with um, Pascal? When she went ahead and said, um, she was telling me about her goals and everything like that. And she was like, yeah, and I want to go to culinary school and I want to do this and I want to do that. And then she's naming everything. And then I said to her, what are you doing in church this morning? She looked at me like, what do you mean? I said, you don't need to be here. She's like, what are you talking about? I said, everything that you named as a goal had nothing to do with God. So why are you using this time? Why are you wasting your time? Why are you here this morning wasting your time when this has nothing to do with your goal? She said, whoa, whoa, I didn't mean it like that. No, God is first. And she re- I said, I'm just checking. You know what I'm saying? Because, because I'm just being real. That if I'm going to come here, I've got to make good use of this. If not, what am I, putting, what am I allowing that to take up my time for? What they say? They said the people that used to go to church and end up in hell are going to have the loudest screams in hell. (laughs) I don't want to know nothing about that. Because you're going to be reminded of all the days you sat in church, all the days you just was just going. And you're like, man, I missed it. (laughs) All right. It is not... Enough to point out the problems or emphasize and share the weight of the distress. We also need a prayerful plan of attack as God directs us to take positive steps towards solution. I'm getting close to finish up here. Understanding resolutions. Understanding resolutions and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about dealing with oppositions and we're done. All right. Nehemiah focused on God because he understood the resolution is coming from God. Anytime you're dealing with a problem, if you're a Christian man, a Christian woman, a Christian young person, understand your resolution is coming from God. Even if it's in you, what you have in you, it came from God. So your resolution is coming from God. So just know that, embrace that, and be good with that. He told them of the hand of God that was good upon them. He never implied that he was the solution to their problem. Uh, Nehemiah didn't tell them, I got you. I'll work it out. No, 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 no. When I'm talking to you, I'm going to tell you, Jesus has got you. He'll use me to assist, but Jesus is the one that's going to work this problem out. Not me. Not that bright. Not that smart. I don't know yesterday. I don't know what's coming up ne- tomorrow. I don't, I don't know next week. I don't know all the dark, the, the, the forces of the dark world. I don't know all about that, but Jesus does. We do not have all the answers, but God does. We do not have the power 
in ourselves to bring lasting solutions to people's physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. It is only possible by the power of God. So only by the power of God can solutions take place, can resolution take place in your problem, my problem, your life, my life, or whoever else's life. Because all of our problems are really spiritual. We're, we're messing up somewhere in our relationship, our spiritual walk with God. There is a problem there, and that's why we're suffering the problem in the natural. The spiritual controls the natural. And that's why we're losing the battle because we're, we're starting with the natural, says the Sharon. We're starting with the natural to try to resolve problems and we will never resolve problems starting with the natural. We gotta go spiritual to deal with the natural. This is why every problem is a spiritual problem because it started in the spiritual realm. It manifested naturally, but it started in the spiritual realm. The people caught the vision and act. They said, let us raise up and build. So they straightened up and they just build. Nehemiah understood an important truth. Leadership does not mean solving every problem single-handedly. Listen. When God choose a man or a woman to lead a church, yes, he chose that leader. But I've never seen in the ministry of Moses, which was a big ministry, and in the ministry of Christ, I didn't see one man leadership show. And if anybody was going to be the one man leader, it should have been Christ. But... He had this one doing this. 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 He picked his disciples according to their abilities that they had, and they did the things that they were good at. He didn't do everything. Moses tried the one-man leadership show until his father-in-law said, Boy, if you don't get that together, you're going to die. And so he learned about team leadership. So we're going to do this thing. A smart leader is going to know we're going to do it together, not by that person having full authority because that don't work. And that will not work in this hour. When we realize that we're not doing it single handedly, we realize that what we have to do is inspire each other. The leader must start inspiring the group and we must inspire each other. We need to catch the vision from leadership and get behind the leadership. Nehemiah and his soldiers may have been able to rebuild the wall eventually, but it would have taken them years and years to build the wall. Instead, Nehemiah recruited and asked everyone from the priests to the Levites to the goldsmiths to the rulers, the apothecaries, the ones that make perfume in case you're wondering what that is. The merchants, the servants, everybody that was around, Nehemiah said, can we all just come together and build this wall? Not just the leaders. And it got done. What are some ways you can support the vision of the pastor, the goal of the church? Who are you following anyway? Listen. I don't like saying this, but it's only a fact, and that's why I'm saying it. If you're a part of this congregation, God's going to hold you responsible following the leadership of the church. It's just the way it is. And when I think about that, that scares me. Because I better know where I'm going. But the good news is, I've always trusted in Jesus. That's why we Christ-centered church. We centered on Christ because Lord knows can't nobody else do it but Jesus. And as long as we keep focus on Jesus, as long as Jesus is the center of everything, we don't have anything to worry about. We don't have to worry about a thing because Jesus is the center of it all. All right, I'm closing up here, finishing up. With all that goes on, 
We got to do our thing. We got to ask. We got to take initiative. We got to we got to count the cost, figure out the plan through fasting and praying. We got to realize everything is spiritual. We got to realize we got to use the word of God. But we got to realize, finally, we're going to deal with oppositions. The first opposition Nehemiah faced came in the form of discouragement. I heard a long time ago, and I still believe that today, that the devil's biggest weapon or greatest weapon that he uses against us is discouragement. You, you can think of all the stuff that the devil can do. The devil likes to discourage us. That's one of his greatest tools he uses against us. Get us discouraged any way he wants to, whatever way it is. Get us discouraged, and he's got us. Sanballat and Tobiah arrayed their men before the walls and mocked the builders, mocked their project, tried to discourage them and make them quit. The devil will use the same tactic. He will figure, he will, he, he will try to fight you and try to get you discouraged and try to make sure everything you do, it seems harder and you get frustrated and you're wondering what's going on. But at the end of the day, the devil is trying to discourage you that you quit, Brother Teddy. That's what he's after. He's trying to discourage you and get you to say, man, I can't be bothered with that. Man, I can't do that. Man, I can't do that. And that's, and guess what? When the devil do that, he didn't even have to do no work. When he discourages you, he doesn't have to do work. Guess what? He's going to have to do some work with me. He's not sending no discouragement. He's going to have to do some work. Because I said a long time ago, when I met Jesus, I knew he was real. And the Bible says he's same yesterday, today, and forever. That means he's not changing. So I'm not going to get this far and change. He's the same God I met whenever I met him till right now. He's never changing. So the devil can't discourage me about who God is and what about him. Nothing. There's nothing. I know who he is and there's nothing that's going to change that about me. So devil, you can pick up your discouragement tool and keep on walking. Even from within, there was discouraging news. Listen to this. Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed and there is much rubbish so that we're not able to build the walls. There are going to be people that are going to be among us sometimes that's going to be discouragers, naysayers. Don't let the devil use you as his tool. If we're doing the work of God, I don't care how impossible it seems. If you know we're doing the work of God, we ought to say, well, if it ain't going to be done, it's because God is not going to let it get done. But we're going to do everything we can to get the work of God done. That's what this is all about. We're doing the work of God. We shouldn't let anybody speak negatively or discouragingly towards the work of God. Because what we're doing is not for individual reasons. We're doing this for God. I'd rather we all be gung-ho. Yeah, we can do it. And then realize we can't do it. I'd rather that. I don't need for us. I don't know about that. Now, I'm never going to discourage an intelligent observation where someone says, well, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. These are obstacles, but you know I know how God is able. But we need to count the cost and look at these observations of things that could happen, but we know God is able. I like that. I like that. We, we need smart people around us that tells us when you look at this, it can be a challenge and these are obstacles, but we know God is able. And these are things that we know we have to take before God in prayer because they are obstacles. I can take that. That's good. But just saying, man, I don't know about that. I, I don't, I, we can't do that without just no explanation. You're being used as a device of the enemy. All right. Still, Nehemiah refused to allow mockery from without or negative stuff from within to discourage him. Instead, he prayed about it. Secondly, they just kept working. So build we the wall. And all the wall was joined together until the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. They had a mind to work. The second opposition. 
Oh, your water gone? Her water gone. Get her some water, Brother Scarlett, please. Brother Scarlett, get you some water. You don't worry. The second opposition came in the form of threats of attack. Sanballat mustered his forces to come and attack them. Again, Nehemiah countered this threat both spiritually by prayer and physically by fasting. So when, when the threat came, they prayed. And so Nehemiah armed his people, which was his role as a leader. Nehemiah motivated his people to fight by reminding them of two things. First, they were fighting for their loved ones. And secondly, God was helping them. We've got to realize that there are some things in the kingdom of God that we're going to have to fight over it. We're going to have to do warfare over it. And warfare really only means I'm going to God and let God pray through me the prayers of faith. I'm going to God and let God help us with this. So there's times where there's going to have to be warfare prayer. How do we know that? Because there was a time where the Bible says, and Daniel, and Daniel, he called upon the Lord and an answer was on its way and it was hindered by the forces of evil. So when we're calling upon the name of the Lord and God is doing things the devil is trying to prevent God's will from being done and the only way we're going to get a breakthrough is when the war angel come when Michael get involved and says oh no you don't that's enough you won't hold up the things of God for but that long and so now the only way to get those breakthroughs is to keep on praying uh, which is the fight you're fighting when you pray the prayers of faith you're praying warfare prayer there's a breakthrough coming uh, and a lot of times breakthrough don't happen on one prayer or on two prayers, or three prayers. Breakthrough come when you pray consistently and focus and continue to pray. And sooner or later, it will happen. If you get a sledgehammer and you're trying to hit through a wall, boom, you might put a hole in it the first time. Boom, another hole. And you put more hole, but the wall is still not broken through. And it might take about eight or nine or ten or twenty swings of that sledgehammer before you're able to break through that wall. That's what consistent prayer is. That's your warfare. And sometimes it won't happen immediately. You just don't call on God and it's going to happen. Because the angel that's trying to stop God's word from coming to you, that, 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 that fallen angel is trying to stop God's word from coming to you. And so you got to realize that it's not because God haven't given the answer. It's because it's being held up. And it's only by warfare prayer can you pray to get that answer to be free and come straight into you. The final opposition came in the form of supposed collaboration. When Sanballat realized that he could not overcome the Jews' defenses by brute force, so obviously they were able to get it done and they couldn't stop them. But they tried one more thing. They, they knew they tried everything else. They couldn't overtake the Jews from building up the wall. And they realized that they couldn't do it. So here's what they tried. They tried to lure, or to lure, lure, Nehemiah out of the, 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 the wall, out of the city. They tried to get him out of the city and try to get him outside of the city so they can overshadow him and destroy him. So what they was trying to do was to lure him out and said, come on, Nehemiah, and try to act like they was his friends. And they were trying to get Nehemiah to leave that city. So when he leave out, they would get him and ambush him and kill him. But Nehemiah was always in tune with the Lord. Nehemiah said, no, I'm good. Appreciate you. God bless you. And so they was never able to overtake him. The devil knows that as long as we are within the walls, the walls, the devil knows that as long as we're in the walls, that God will protect us and that he cannot harm us as long as we're inside the walls. Going back to what I said, those values and those standards that you will put into your life, as long as you stay within that, the devil knows he can't get to you. If you put a standard up around you, a fortress around you. You put around you uh, values and standards. When the devil come knocking, you say, devil, I'm not interested. And it's going to take him a while to try to penetrate. But if you leave yourself wide open, he come and hit you smack in the chest. He cannot harm you when you stay within the walls, when you stay within the 
plan of God, when you stay in obedience to the word of God, he can't lure you out there. He can't get you if you stay obedient to the word of God. The devil tries especially hard to lure a leadership, all of us that are in church and trying to do the right thing. He tried to get us out and try to get us to get out of the protection of God because when you get outside of the protection of God, the devil can annihilate you. Uh, that's why we go back to that whole thing about the, sh- the, 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 the sheep when they're together. What does the wolf try to do? God has always shown us things that we got to get it. The wolf don't attack a sheep when he's in the pack. He attacked the sheep when the sheep is starting to stray and when the sheep is starting to go outside. If you don't stay together with the flock, uh, the devil will eat you for lunch and breakfast and dinner. But if you stay within the flock uh, and know that I'm together with all of the children of God, the devil can't come after you. Uh, he has to stay where he is. All he is is waiting to see if you will get lured out. If you will begin to say, let me go see what's out there. Let me go check it out. Let me go look and see if there's something that I might like. The devil is waiting for that. That's his only way of getting you. Uh, The Bible says, Jesus says, no man can pluck you out of my hands. Uh, That is absolute truth, Brother D. But guess what we can do? We can walk out of the hand of God. And because God is a gentleman, he don't make us don't walk. He says, hold on, don't you go. But he don't stop us. But we will walk out of the hand of God. Uh, But the devil can't touch us when we're in the hand of God. Because God is our shield and our buckler, our exceeding and great reward. Uh, And so if we want to make it and we want to stand firm and we don't want the devil to get the best of us. We just got to stay within the walls. We just got to stay among the other sheep. We just got to stay in the church and in the kingdom of God and the devil can only look and act like he's bad but he can't do nothing. The Bible says he is as the roaring lion seeking whom he may devour but look it says whom he may devour. He can only devour the one that don't stay together with us that's the only one he can get so all he does the devil is as not is as a roaring lion I'm looking for somebody to devour and he looks and he sees the pack of us and like but he's waiting because he knows somebody is going to say, let me go and check over here. And as you go and check over there, hold on to you in your neck and walk with you over here. And now you all consumed by the devil. You're wondering what happened. You walked away from the flock. We got to do what God say to do, and we won't have to worry about it. Who are you following? You got to know that. Any questions? God is a good God. God is a good God. He knows what we need when we need it. This is why we can always we can always pray the twenty third Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Because why? I shall not want. Whenever you need something, He will provide. He says He make you to lie down. In, he says He says Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemy. And so your enemy is all around you all the time. But guess what? Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Amen. So we we, we just got to know these things and not let the devil with his, you know, bogus self. Because he's not even real. He's not even real. He's, He's bogus. Trying to scare us. But he can't scare us. Um, answers to... Um to the um, the questions from the book, I'll run it run through it real quick for you. Um, you might have got some through the um, study. So um, the first answer is people's needs are for for foremost spiritual, so they require a special solution. The next one is. God positioned each of us to minister in a particular way. Next one, like a true leader, Nehemiah knew it was not all about him, but undue haste or lack of planning 
would likely cause the project to fall. The other one. We do not have the power in ourselves to bring lasting solution to people's physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. It is only possible by the power of God. The other one. The first opposition Nehemiah faced came in the form of discouragement. Jump down. The second opposition came in the form of threat of attack. Next one. Nehemiah armed his people, which was his role as leader. When I'm ministering to you, I'm giving you armor. The final opposition came in the form of supposed collaboration. Collaboration. And finally, the devil tries especially hard to lure lure leadership away before he knows the church often rises and fall on leadership. Those are your answers to lesson 2.3. Any questions? All right. So don't forget... We still have the um, the card 